Volume the First, Chapter Five of Caleb Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Darvinia. Caleb Williams, by William Godwin, Volume the First, Chapter Five. It was not long after that a malignant distemper broke out in the neighbourhood which proved fatal to many of the inhabitants, and was of unexampled rapidity in its effects. One of the first persons that was seized with it was Mr. Clare. It may be conceived what grief and alarm this incident spread through the vicinity. Mr. Clare was considered by them as something more than mortal. The equanimity of his behaviour, his unassuming carriage, his exuberant benevolence and goodness of heart, joined with his talents, his inoffensive wit, and the comprehensiveness of his intelligence, made him the idol of all that knew him. In the scene of his rural retreat, at least, he had no enemy. All mourned the danger that now threatened him. He appeared to have had the prospect of long life, and of going down to his grave full of years and of honour. Perhaps these appearances were deceitful. Perhaps the intellectual efforts he had made, which were occasionally more sudden, violent, and unintermitted, than a strict regard to health would have dictated, had laid the seed of future disease. But a sanguine observer would infallibly have predicted that his temperate habits, activity of mind, and unabated cheerfulness, would be able even to keep death at bay for a time, and baffle the attacks of distemper, provided their approach were not uncommonly rapid and violent. The general affliction, therefore, was doubly pungent upon the present occasion. But no one was so much affected as Mr. Falkland. Perhaps no man so well understood the value of the life that was now at stake. He immediately hastened to the spot, but he found some difficulty in gaining admission. Mr. Clare, aware of the infectious nature of his disease, had given directions that as few persons as possible should approach him. Mr. Falkland sent up his name. He was told that he was included in the general orders. He was not, however, of a temper to be easily repulsed. He persisted with obstinacy, and at length carried his point, being only reminded in the first instance to employ those precautions which experience has proved most effectual for counteracting infection. He found Mr. Clare in his bedchamber, but not in bed. He was sitting in his nightgown at a bureau near the window. His appearance was composed and cheerful, but death was in his countenance. "'I had a great inclination, Falkland,' said he, "'not to have suffered you to come in. And yet there's not a person in the world it could give me more pleasure to see.' but upon second thoughts I believe there are few people that could run into a danger of this kind with a better prospect of escaping. In your case, at least, the garrison will not, I trust, be taken through the treachery of the commander. I cannot tell how it is that I, who can preach wisdom to you, have myself been caught. But do not be discouraged by my example." I had no notice of my danger, or I would have acquitted myself better. Mr. Falkland, having once established himself in the apartment of his friend, would upon no terms consent to retire. Mr. Clare considered that there was perhaps less danger in this choice, 
than in the frequent change from the extremes of a pure to a tainted air, and desisted from expostulation. Falkland, said he, when you came in I had just finished making my will. I was not pleased with what I had formerly drawn up upon that subject, and I did not choose in my present situation to call in an attorney. In fact, it would be strange if a man of sense, with pure and direct intentions, should not be able to perform such a function for himself. Mr. Clare continued to act in the same easy and disengaged manner as in perfect health. To judge from the cheerfulness of his tone and the firmness of his manner, the thought would never once have occurred that he was dying. He walked, he reasoned, he jested, in a way that argued the most perfect self-possession. But his appearance changed perceptibly for the worse every quarter of an hour. Mr. Falkland kept his eye perpetually fixed upon him, with mingled sentiments of anxiety and admiration. "'Falkland,' said he, after having appeared for a short period, absorbed in thought, "'I feel that I am dying. This is a strange distemper of mine. Yesterday I seemed in perfect health, and to-morrow I shall be an insensible corpse. How curious is the line that separates life and death to mortal men! To be at one moment active, gay, penetrating, with stores of knowledge at one's command, capable of delighting, instructing, and animating mankind, and the next, lifeless and loathsome, an encumbrance upon the face of the earth. Such is the history of many men, and such will be mine. I feel as if I had yet much to do in the world, but it will not be. I must be contented with what is past. It is in vain that I muster all my spirits to my heart. The enemy is too mighty and too merciless for me. He will not give me time so much as to breathe. These things are not yet at least in our power. They are parts of a great series that is perpetually flowing. The general welfare, the great business of the universe, will go on, though I bear no further share in promoting it. That task is reserved for younger strengths, for you, Falkland, and such as you. We should be contemptible indeed if the prospect of human improvement did not yield us a pure and perfect delight independently of the question of our existing to partake of it. Mankind would have little to envy, to future ages, if they had all enjoyed a serenity as perfect as mine has been for the latter half of my existence. Mr. Clare sat up through the whole day, indulging himself in easy and cheerful exertions, which were perhaps better calculated to refresh and invigorate the frame, than if he had sought repose in its direct form. Now and then he was visited with a sudden pang, but it was no sooner felt than he seemed to rise above it, and smiled at the impotence of these attacks. They might destroy him, but they could not disturb. Three or four times he was bedewed with profuse sweats, and these again were succeeded by an extreme dryness and burning heat of the skin. He was next covered with small livid spots, Symptoms of shivering followed, but these he drove away with a determined resolution. He then became tranquil and composed, and after some time decided to go to bed, it being already night. 
"'Falkland,' said he, pressing his hand, "'the task of dying is not so difficult as some imagine. "'When one looks back from the brink of it, "'one wonders that so total a subversion can take place at so easy a price.' "'He had now been some time in bed, "'and as everything was still, Mr. Falkland hoped that he slept. "'But in that he was mistaken.' Presently Mr. Clare threw back the curtain, and looked in the countenance of his friend. "'I cannot sleep,' said he. "'No, if I could sleep, it would be the same thing as to recover. And I am destined to have the worst in this battle. Falkland, I have been thinking about you. I do not know any one whose future usefulness I contemplate with greater hope. Take care of yourself.' Do not let the world be defrauded of your virtues. I am acquainted with your weakness as well as your strength. You have an impetuosity and an impatience of imagined dishonour that, if once set wrong, may make you as eminently mischievous as you will otherwise be useful. Think seriously of exterminating this error. But if I cannot, in the brief expostulation my present situation will allow— produce this desirable change in you, there is at least one thing I can do. I can put you upon your guard against a mischief I foresee to be imminent. Beware of Mr. Tyrrell. Do not commit the mistake of despising him as an unequal opponent. Petty causes may produce great mischiefs. Mr. Tyrrell is boisterous, rugged, and unfeeling, and you are too passionate." too acutely sensible of injury. It would be truly to be lamented if a man so inferior, so utterly unworthy to be compared with you, should be capable of changing your whole history into misery and guilt. I have a painful presentiment upon my heart, as if something dreadful would reach you from that quarter. Think of this. I exact no promise from you. I would not shackle you with the fetters of superstition." I would have you governed by justice and reason. Mr. Falkland was deeply affected with this expostulation. His sense of the generous attention of Mr. Clare at such a moment was so great as almost to deprive him of utterance. He spoke in short sentences and with visible effort. "'I will behave better,' replied he. "'Never fear me. Your admonitions shall not be thrown away upon me. Mr. Clare adverted to another subject. "'I have made you my executor. You will not refuse me this last office of friendship. It is but a short time that I have had the happiness of knowing you. But in that short time I have examined you well, and seen you thoroughly. Do not disappoint the sanguine hope I have entertained. I have left some legacies. My former connections, while I lived amongst the busy haunts of men, as many of them as were intimate, are all of them dear to me. I have not had time to summon them about me upon the present occasion, nor did I desire it. The remembrances of me will, I hope, answer a better purpose than such as are usually thought of on similar occasions. Mr. Clare, having thus unburthened his mind, spoke no more for several hours. Towards morning Mr. Falkland quietly withdrew the curtain, and looked at the dying man. His eyes were open, 
and were now gently turned towards his young friend. His countenance was sunk, and of a death-like appearance. "'I hope you are better,' said Falkland, in a half-whisper, as if afraid of disturbing him. Mr. Clare drew his hand from the bedclothes, and stretched it forward. Mr. Falkland advanced, and took hold of it. "'Much better,' said Mr. Clare, in a voice inward and hardly articulate. "'The struggle is now over. I have finished my part. Farewell. Remember.' These were his last words. He lived still a few hours. His lips were sometimes seen to move. He expired without a groan. Mr. Falkland had witnessed the scene with much anxiety. His hopes of a favourable crisis, and his fear of disturbing the last moments of his friend, had held him dumb. For the last half-hour he had stood up, with his eyes intently fixed upon Mr. Clare. He witnessed the last gasp, the last little convulsive motion of the frame. He continued to look. He sometimes imagined that he saw life renewed. At length he could deceive himself no longer, and exclaimed with a distracted accent, "'And this is all?' He would have thrown himself upon the body of his friend. The attendants withheld, and would have forced him into another apartment. But he struggled from them and hung fondly over the bed. "'Is this the end of genius, virtue, and excellence?' Is the luminary of the world thus for ever gone? Oh, yesterday, yesterday! Clare, why could not I have died in your stead? Dreadful moment! Irreparable loss! Lost in the very maturity and vigour of his mind! Cut off from a usefulness ten thousand times greater than any he had already exhibited! Oh, his was a mind to have instructed sages and guided the moral world. This is all we have left of him. The eloquence of those lips is gone. The incessant activity of that heart is still. The best and wisest of men is gone, and the world is insensible of its loss. Mr. Tyrrell heard the intelligence of Mr. Clare's death with emotion, but of a different kind. He avowed that he had not forgiven him his partial attachment to Mr. Falkland, and therefore could not recall his remembrance with kindness. But if he could have overlooked his past injustice, sufficient care, it seems, was taken to keep alive his resentment. Falkland, forsooth, attended him on his deathbed as if nobody else were worthy of his confidential communications— but what was worst of all was this executorship. In everything this pragmatical rascal throws me behind. Contemptible wretch that has nothing of the man about him. Must he perpetually trample upon his betters? Is everybody incapable of saying what kind of stuff a man is made of, caught with mere outside, choosing the flimsy before the substantial? And upon his deathbed, too! Mr. Tyrrell, with his uncultivated brutality, mixed, as usually happens, certain rude notions of religion. Sure the sense of his situation might have shamed him. Poor wretch! His soul has a great deal to answer for. 
He has made my pillow uneasy, and whatever may be the consequences, it is he we have to thank for them. The death of Mr. Clare removed the person who could most effectually have moderated the animosities of the contending parties, and took away the great operative check upon the excesses of Mr. Tyrrell. This rustic tyrant had been held in involuntary restraint by the intellectual ascendancy of his celebrated neighbour, and notwithstanding the general ferocity of his temper, he did not appear till lately to have entertained a hatred against him. In the short time that had elapsed from the period in which Mr. Clare had fixed his residence in the neighbourhood, to that of the arrival of Mr. Falkland from the continent, the conduct of Mr. Tyrrell had even shown tokens of improvement. He would indeed have been better satisfied not to have had even this intruder into a circle where he had been accustomed to reign. But with Mr. Clare he could have no rivalship. The venerable character of Mr. Clare disposed him to submission. This great man seemed to have survived all the acrimony of contention, and all the jealous subtleties of a mistaken honour. The effects of Mr. Clare's suavity, however, so far as related to Mr. Tyrrell, had been in a certain degree suspended by considerations of rivalship between this gentleman and Mr. Falkland. And, now that the influence of Mr. Clare's presence and virtues was entirely removed, Mr. Tyrrell's temper broke out into more criminal excesses than ever. The added gloom which Mr. Falkland's neighbourhood inspired overflowed upon all his connections, and the new examples of his sullenness and tyranny, which every day afforded, reflected back upon this accumulated and portentous feud. End of chapter 5 of Volume the First